Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us for another encouraging message in our three-week summer series, Neighbors and Nations. Each week brings a guest speaker shedding light on missions around the world and across the street. For more information, please visit blufffirst.com. Good morning, Bluff First. How are you this morning? What a pleasure it is to be here with you on Father's Day. Lisa and I have our two youngest kids here with us. And uh, the, the picture in our prayer card is a little misleading because we have two additional adult children in, in, in addition to the four in the picture there. So we have three girls and three boys, kind of our, we call them our biological Brady Bunch. And uh, just a small portion of them are with us here this morning. So again, thank you, Pastor TJ, for the opportunity to come and be a part of your Neighbors to Nations focus this year. And uh, we're excited just for some new territory that God is leading us in ministry. We've been working in Asia Pacific for, for two decades, first starting in Thailand. It got a kind of funny thing with Thailand. I was doing some ministry in northern Thailand. Lisa wasn't with me. And uh, I was talking with a Thai lady, and she was asking about my family. When I told her I had six kids, she gasped and said, six kids? How many wives do you have? Honest truth. And I said, well, only one. She goes, well, is she still living? Well, the last time I checked. <laughs> and then in the first service there, somebody came up and said, oh, you guys, we've got eight kids. So I thought, nine. Yeah, I can't even count right, nine, you know. So what's six there? But uh, we're excited for a new direction of ministry God has us for us. And as you saw in the video, uh, New Zealand is our, our new place of ministry that we're headed. We're going to be planting a church in Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand on the North Island. You can see, on they don't take the map off, but on the map there is a North and South Island. Auckland is in that upper third. 33% of the population live in the Auckland Metroplex area. So it is very influential, very strategic, economically, culturally, influentially across the, the nationwide. Very ethnically diverse. And so we're going to go in and plant a new multicultural congregation there and just believe that God's going to do what he does best is transform lives. Now, you know, New Zealand was quite a shock when God brought that on the radar for us. How many have ever been surprised by God before? He surprised us because all of our ministry has been in the undeveloped world of countries like Thailand and Cambodia and the Philippines and Vietnam. And then when he began to bring New Zealand onto focus for us, it was quite a shock, to be honest, because um, we knew he was leading us in a new direction of ministry. But for the first thing that came to my mind with New Zealand, it's like, well, isn't that where you go for vacation? How many like to go for vacation in New Zealand? Especially that South Island, you know, they got beautiful mountains and fjords and, and lovely coastlines. And for you, Lord of the Rings um, uh, hobbyists there or enthous- enthusiasts, you got the Hobbiton and the mountains where they shot the, the, the scenes and trekking to Mordor there. So kind of the, the known things of New Zealand. And so the first thing I thought was, wow, what are the needs there? But then as God began to open ministry engagement for us in Auckland, in that North Island, and we began to interact with them, we saw... There was a stark contrast. You had this beautiful scenery and this barren spirituality. As you saw in the video where we shared, there over half the population rejecting religious connections of any kind. It was a former British colony, and so ideologically they have fallen very step and close with Europe where Christianity was prominent in its past. But today, atheism is the dominant worldview and very strong surgence and growth in Islam and other Asians' religions because of immigration that is coming in. Now, within atheism, we know it's the ideology that tries to put man as a supreme being. We want to remove God out of the equation of life, but God has designed us to be in relationship with him. He's our creator. 
And whenever we try and extract him out of that equation, it never goes very well. It causes broken hearts, broken homes, shattered lives. And we see that in one particular sad statistic in New Zealand is that of the developed countries, New Zealand has one of the highest teen suicide rates, twice that of the United States. So you can be surrounded by beautiful views and vistas, but friends, we know it will never fill the God-sized void in your heart. But God steps down into broken humanity to bring healing, hope, and restoration. Can you say amen to that? And that's the joy we have in focusing on on neighbors to nations and thinking about kind of on the world on a global scale and realizing that we can have a part in seeing lives transformed around the world. God can use us on a global scale because missions is a team effort. We join together with our prayers, with our giving, as God gives us opportunity for involvement there to see lives touched and transformed. And Lisa and I have had the joy of seeing really some miraculous, dramatic transformation in people's lives over the years of our over two decades of ministry in Asia Pacific. Amarja is a wonderful example of that. We were doing some uh, ministry in a, in a very impoverished community on the island of Jakarta, uh, in the city of Jakarta, the capital city in Indonesia, the largest Islamic nation in the world. It's not in the Middle East, actually it's in Asia Pacific, over 300 million people in Indonesia, predominantly Islamic, and we were working in a slum community that was really at the lowest tier of society. This community had taken recycled products, uh, out of desperation, they had created their structures and home in their community on abandoned land, which was an abandoned cemetery. Because of the superstition, because of the demonic activity, this territory, this particular plot of land that had formerly been a cemetery was avoided, but out of desperation, these people had developed a, a very slum community just from recycled goods, and Marja and his mother were living in that community. His mother was a prostitute. That was the only way that she was able to put food on the table to provide for her and Marja. And as we began to do some ministry engagement there with a nutrition project and other, other ministry classes and health classes, they began to attend and began to respond, and God began to move them in a different direction from what the path that they had been on. They gave their hearts to Christ. She found them, Marja's mother found better employment. Marja began to attend school. They began to progress and grow, be a disciple, got a part of the local church. God began to bless them. Today, Marja is a university graduate with a law degree, an influential, vibrant member of his community, and a powerful testimony of what God can do in a life, taking a young man and his mother, prostitute mother, who lived in a cemetery surrounded by death, metaphorically and literally, and God put them on a path of life and transformation. And today, they are members of their congregation and vibrant testimonies of God's transformation. Isn't God amazing? What God can do in a life. And God has given us the opportunity to be a part of that through our prayers, through our giving, through our personal involvement. Why? Because God loves the lost. And Jesus really unpacks this for us in Luke chapter 15. And in fact, let me invite you to take your Bibles with me. And let's, let's look here at this. We're going to kind of take a 30,000 view look here at the entire chapter 
There's so much depth and so much richness here, but we're just kind of getting an overview. Because when you look at the chapter of a whole, you, you really see the full impact of what Jesus is wanting to teach and impress upon us here. Luke chapter 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Probably you've read it before. Pastor TJ has preached on it. Pastor Max has preached on it before. But just to refresh our memories, let's set the stage here. Verse number one. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear him, speaking of Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So already we see there's this different perspective on value. Who Jesus is spending his time and attention, the Pharisees, the scribes, they think that they're unworthy of his time and attention. Rather ironic, the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts of the Old Testament, they knew the word of God, but somehow they failed to grasp the heart of God and what God valued. And so Jesus uses this as a springboard to then share these three consecutive parables, one right after another, this one condensed, powerful, combined teaching session to communicate what God the Father values. So let's pick it up here in verse number three where he shares the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. Verse number three. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now we're going to go ahead and read the next parable because it's like a parallel parable. There's so many common elements that are so synonymous here. Verse number 8, he shares the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she is founded, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Verse number 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, how many have ever lost something before? Your wallet, your keys, your kids, your mind. Sure, we've all lost things. A common human experience. Now, what's rather fascinating... Here in these two parables, Jesus confirms something that we have observed. That is that men and women process information differently. Sometimes as we take that input in, we filter it differently. How many husbands have discovered that? Your wife can draw a different conclusion you can with the same input. Wives, how many of you have observed that also? Jesus confirms that here. It's fascinating here. Nowhere else do we find in Scripture where he shares two parables targeting each gender. The first parable of the sheep, he says, and what man, then he talks about the sheep. And the second parable, he says, and then what woman, to target the ladies of the audience. Because we just have a different 
perspective at times, a different viewpoint on the same information. And so, so significant is this spiritual principle that Jesus wants everyone to fully grasp it because we just process information differently. Like, for example, uh, my wife and I had the joy of celebrating our granddaughter's first birthday a couple weeks ago. Our, our oldest married, our, her and our son-in-law had our, our granddaughter's first birthday. And how many grandparents are here? Pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? We're, we're thrilled to be a part of the Grandparents Club. I'm a little nervous about the annual fees, but other than that, I'm really happy to be a card-carrying member. So after our granddaughter's birthday, my, Lisa and I were sitting around chatting, and Lisa says to me, you know, the decorations around the refreshment table were just lovely. Didn't you think that they were lovely? And, and as she asked me that, she noticed the blank look that I had on my face. And then in disbelief, she said, didn't you notice the decorations, the elaborate decorations around the refreshment table? To which I responded, I noticed the refreshments on the refreshment table. <laughs> Because you didn't see all the balloons and the streamers. I said, I said, I, I saw all the options that there were to consume. And we just input and, and filter information differently. So Jesus taps into that. For the men, he shares the story of the sheep. For the ladies, the coin. Common elements. In each story, something's been lost. Something of value. We know it's of value because of the response. The shepherd goes out in the field searching. You notice, until... It is found. The woman, the coin, she sweeps and seeks and searches the house diligently, same wording, until it is found. Similar response, the celebration, calling the friends and neighbors together, and then the common correlation, how heaven looks at us, how priceless we are to the Father. Now, all of us have lost things, this common human experience of possession slipping out of, our, out of our hands. A lot of times, we have lost things. It's an irritation. It's an inconvenience. But that's about as far as it goes. A pair of gloves, an umbrella. We're not happy. But, you know, as we go about our daily activity, we'll look for it casually. If we don't find it, we're not going to lose any sleep. We're going to write it on the grocery list. The next time we're at the store, we're going to replace it. But there are other items. Because of the value, it's a different story. A check of sizable amount. An heirloom item passed down from generations. A wedding ring. How many of you have ever lost something like that? That's a different story. You get that hollow feeling in the gut. You break out in that cold sweat. Your mind begins to race and panic. You begin to frantically think, where could I have dropped it? You begin to retrace your steps. You tear the house apart. You tear the car apart. You're looking, where could it have been that I have lost it? The value of the item drives the desperation and the diligence of the search. For the men, they understood the value of a sheep. Kind of interestingly enough, New Zealand's known for sheep, not only for hobbits, but also for sheep. They've got the highest sheep to person ratio of anywhere in the world 25 million sheep, 5 million people. So if you're a knitter or a lamb chop lover, it's a great place. His audience, there were many shepherds, agrarian society, they knew the value of that sheep. For the ladies, one coin of ten, part of the savings, part of the dowry, had tremendous implications on her future well-being and security. 
These items were precious. The response was was guaranteed. And Jesus communicates using these powerful stories of how great God values us. Is that not remarkable? A little bit hard for us to grasp and comprehend. That as we look around us of all God's creation, that which he places the highest price tag is you and I. Stunning. And then he moves from these parallel parables, these two that you can really put together. He then moves into a different direction and shares that story that we know well, the lost son, or we sometimes call the prodigal son. Just to refresh your memory, we won't read full, full passage of it there, but we know there were two sons. The younger son comes to the father, asks for his inheritance. The father graciously gives it to him. The son, younger son, then proceeds to take all of that wealth, goes off into a far land, throws off all moral restraints. We know that because depending on your translation, it says that through wild and riotous living, this is picture of somebody who just, whatever, whatever pursuits of pleasure he wanted, that's what he went after. Spends all that he has, we know in the story. And then a famine strikes the land, and in desperation, he's penniless, he hires on to a farm, tending pigs, so desperate is he that he wants to eat the food that he's offering them. Rather stunning story that Jesus shares, taking this prosperous, prominent, young Jewish man, and then places him at the far extreme, at the end of his rope, at the bottom of the barrel, at a dead-end point of his life, where he is bankrupt, morally, physically, mentally, spiritually. From prominence and prestige to poverty and outcasts. And to really drive home this point, he brings in pigs to the story. Now, you probably know that in the Jewish community, pigs are not highly esteemed. Of all the unclean, kosher, unkosher animals are the most despised. They were not to eat them, nor were they to tend them. So as Jesus unpacks this story, it's a shocking, tabloid-worthy tale. Stunning. You know, now for personally for me, you know, thanks to bacon, pork chop, and cured meat, I hold that ugly animal in high esteem. How about you, you know? On my culinary plate, he's up there at the top. But for the audience, they were stunned at how far this young man had fallen. And then Jesus moves it into this direction, amazing change, and shares this powerful story of restoration, forgiveness, and redemption. And on this Father's Day weekend, I, love, I think it's so appropriate as we reflect on the father's response here in the prodigal, the lost son story of how he responds. When the young man, when he's at the end of his rope, he thinks, you know, I'm going to go back, I'm going to work as a servant, maybe I can repair some of the damage. Let's pick it up in verse number 20, where Jesus continues on and he says, and he, speaking of the younger son, arose. Gives that picture, arose out of that depth, out of that 
poverty out of that broken condition and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse number 22, But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Stunning. Immediate forgiveness, complete restoration, reinstatement. Back into the family. Not as a servant, not as a slave, not as a hired hand but back as a son. In the first two parables, Jesus so powerfully communicates how valuable we are. But I know in that audience, and sometimes when we hear and we think about them, we think that's great, but that disqualifies me because of the mistakes that I've made, because of the wreck that I've caused in my own life and those around me. And so Jesus so powerfully then follows up with this story to communicate not only are we priceless in the eyes of God, but even in our wanderings, we can never walk beyond the boundaries of his love. Is that not amazing? That the Father stands there with open arms, waiting for us, even when we're at the end of our rope, when we are bankrupt in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He's waiting for us to turn back to him so that he could restore us, Complete forgiveness, immediate restoration, and reinstatement. What's fascinating about this chapter and in these progression of stories is that Jesus is moving very intentionally and methodically. We see that in the first parable it is one of ten sheep, and then he follows up with one of ten coins, and then he concludes with one of two sons. As he reduces the ratio, he moves from an animal, an item, to a son. He intensifies the message. And in each of the stories, the focus is always one. So much effort, so much concern for one. God really drove this point home to us. Back in the mid-1990s when we first arrived in Thailand as brand new missionaries, we had flown into Bangkok. We are going to be living in Bangkok, the large city, capital of of Thailand, 15 million people. And we were staying uh, with some missionary colleagues and friends. They opened up one of their bedrooms where we could stay temporarily as we were getting settled into the city. We'd just been there a couple days. And I was traveling down into the heart of the city where I was going to register us for language school And I was using, we didn't have a vehicle yet, I was using the public transportation options that they had in the city. They had buses and taxis, water taxis, motorcycle taxis, this whole collection of of public transportation modes. And I had navigated my way down into the heart of the city, had registered us, we began in two weeks, and I was on my way back, riding on a public bus, had my large paper map unfolded. How many remember those paper maps? 
For the younger generation, you have to go to a museum. If you look there, you know, it's this large sheet of paper. It's got these streets on it there. You find where you are, where you're going to go, and you navigate your own route. And this map out there, and as I'm looking, counting the streets, make sure I'm going to get off because I had a couple other changes, other buses are going to ride. I felt somebody slip up next to me on the seat and ask me in excellent English, which got my attention, are you lost? I said, I don't, I don't think so. I looked over, and it was this Thai gentleman in his mid-30s, introduced himself as City Pong. We chatted for a couple of minutes, and I could see that my stop was going to be coming up, and so I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get off here in just a minute. He said, well, can I have your phone number? I said, sure. So I jotted down the phone number of our missionary friends that we were staying with, gave that to him. You know, back in the day when telephones were attached to the wall, remember? Paper maps, telephones on the wall, back in the wagon train days. So I gave that number to him, got off the bus, went on my way, really didn't think much about the meeting. A couple weeks went by, we got settled into the city, better, found our own apartment, had started language school. Our missionary friends that we'd stayed with those first couple of days invited us back over to their house for dinner. We're sitting around their living room just talking and laughing. Telephone rings. And to my surprise, my missionary colleague said, hey, Nate, it's for you. I picked up the receiver, and as you guessed, it was City Palm. We chatted on the phone for a few minutes, and he asked if we could meet. So a couple days later, I found myself back down in the heart of the city, sitting across from City Pong on this little roadside Thai cafe, eating this hot, spicy Thai noodle soup. Now, friends, I don't know what all is going to be on the menu at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's Thai food there, because it is superb. Because how many like Thai food? Let me warn you, though, they do like peppers. So sometimes when you're eating that, it's like a brush fire goes through your taste buds. But after a couple weeks when they grow back, it starts to taste pretty good. So I'm eating this hot, spicy Thai food here across from City Pong, this little roadside cafe. My curiosity got the better of me, and I asked him, I said, why did you call? He said, a couple of nights before I telephoned you, I had this very disturbing dream. I was out in the Gulf of Thailand, out in the ocean. This violent storm was brewing. The wind was blowing so strong, the waves were crashing. I felt at any moment the boat would capsize and my life would be lost, and I was gripped with such fear. And for some reason, I don't know why, but in my dream, your name came back to me, and I was calling out your name, and when I woke up, I knew I had to give you a call. As he shared his dream with me, friends, boy, the Holy Spirit just stirred in my heart. I said, you know, City Pong, when we met on that bus a couple weeks back, it was not by chance. But rather, God in heaven, our creator, set up a divine appointment that we might have the opportunity to meet so that I could tell you one very important thing. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you that you could be restored to him. In a city of 15 million people, using somebody that can only speak just a few words of Thai, God set up a divine appointment for one. For one. Somehow God is able to look at the mass of humanity around our globe and see the one. 
whether it be the one in Bangkok, Thailand, whether it be the one in Auckland, New Zealand, whether it be the one in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, God sees the one. Nowhere else in any of the Gospels will you find these parables recorded except in Matthew. In Matthew chapter uh, 14, you'll find the parable of the lost sheep. And here Jesus concludes that parable with this quote, My Father in heaven is not willing that one should be lost. Not one. That's a little hard to grasp. Hard to wrap our heads around to think how great the breadth and the depth of God's love is for us. And we know as we read the Gospels, we see what Christ did, and we look at the cross, we recognize that there was nothing that God was not willing to do to restore us to him. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, it was not with silver or gold that we were redeemed from the empty way of life, but rather with the precious blood of Jesus. But Jesus not only wants us to understand the love of God, he wants us to embrace it. It cannot be earned, it can only be embraced. But not only does he want us to embrace the love of God. He wants us to imitate it. He wants our hearts to harmonize with it so that what his heart beats for also is what our heart beats for. You'll notice there, when you look at Luke chapter 15, that the parable of the lost son does not conclude in verse number 24 with that beautiful reunion. That would have been a great place to stop it right there, would it not? That joyful reunion, that story of redemption, what a way to conclude. But rather, there are eight more verses where Jesus then brings the older brother back onto the scene. You remember the story? The older brother's not too happy about what's developed. This younger brother of his who went off, who squandered the family wealth, who brought shame to the family name, has now been put back in the family without any consequences, without any punishment. That just doesn't seem right to him. And verse 32 concludes with a father compelling and pleading with the older brother, embrace the son. He was lost and is found. I find it rather stunning. The older brother, he was a part of the family, but he didn't have the heart of the father. But before I cast too much judgment, I see I fall into that trap. I can be a part of the family, but because of the pressures, because of the distractions, because of the stress of life, sometimes I don't always have the heart of the Father. And as we focus this week and your weeks to come on neighbors to nations, It's just as an opportunity we have to allow God to recalibrate our heart with His so that not only do we embrace His love, 
that we cannot comprehend or fully grasp. But we can also harmonize with it so that when we interact with people on a daily basis at the store, walking the dog, chatting with those that live next door to us, as we think about the needs around the world, we recognize that God can birth within us a fresh burden and brokenness for those that are lost and separated. You know what I found personally, ways that have been very effective in my heart helping to harmonize with the Father? You've probably experienced them too. None of them will surprise you. First of all, when I intercede for the lost, for those that I know that are apart from God, when I begin to pray for them, not only does God work through my prayers to open doors to soften hearts, but God also creates a pathway from my heart to His. And His love spills out into my heart and I begin to grow a greater love and burden for those individuals. Not only through intercession, but I have found when I invest in the kingdom, when I take what God has blessed me with and I invest them into the work of God, when I raise the cause of Christ above my own personal comfort, when I give to the work of God here locally and around the globe, my heart connects with His. Jesus dials into this when He shares in Matthew 6 when He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Through intercession and through investment, the amazing thing is, God gives us a global reach. We're not prisoners of our proximity. God can use our prayers and our giving to make pathways for the gospel in lands that we will never visit. Is that not remarkable? God can use us on a global scale. In addition to using us right here in Poplar Bluff and in this county and community. But not only have I found that as God uses my intercession, God uses my investment, it realigns my heart with His, but one of the most effective ways that I have found that my heart harmonizes with the Father is when I'm personally involved. When I personally, with boldness, as God gives opportunity, share what He's done in my life, my testimony, what God has done when He's brought healing, when God's brought provision, when I become aware of those needs around me, of people that are facing those challenges, I can say, you know what? Let me pray for you. Let me share what God's done in my life, how he met the need, how he worked the miracle. God wants to use us on a personal level right here in our neighborhood in addition to the nations. Jerry was a young man in the Central Island collection in the Philippines and the Visayas that we had the privilege and opportunity of, of being involved in his journey of faith. He lived on the island of Cebu, on the city of Cebu, a large city, in a slum community. His family was impoverished, that low tier of society. 
Like many of his teen peers, he was headed on the same path of self-destruction to deal with the hopelessness of his situation, the bleakness of his future because of the grinding poverty that he was living in. He began to experiment with drugs and alcohol, trying to numb that ache and hurt in his heart. We were doing some ministry engagement in his community, weekend mentoring pro- programs and some, some, some kids' ministry. He heard about the engagement and he began to attend. That was a connection point when God began to change his trajectory. He heard how God loved him, had a plan for his life. His heart was captivated. He surrendered his life to Christ. He began to grow in the Lord, got discipled, and we just saw dramatic changes in him. Graduated high school. He felt God had called him to full-time vocational ministry, to be a pastor, plant a church be involved in ministry on a full-time basis. He didn't have the funds to do that. We were able to find him a scholarship. He attended a local Bible school. He attended, he excelled, he graduated with honors, and today Jerry leads the very ministry that led him to Christ. Just an amazing story. This young man, a trophy of God's grace, a powerful testimony in his community that knew him before and after. But if you ask Jerry what drew him to that weekend ministry back in his teen years, if you ask him why he attended, he would tell you he came for the free snacks. I mean, as a teenage young man, snacks are a pretty magnetic, powerful connection point and draw. Friends, can I tell you? If God can use chips cookies and crackers, how many know God can use us to lead somebody to the cross, to point somebody to Christ? God can use our testimony, what he's done in our life, the miracles that he's brought, the provision. God can use our intercession. God can use our investment to see lives transformed right here in our neighborhood And to see lives transformed around the globe in the nations represented around us across the seas. I just want to challenge you, friends. Embrace God's love and imitate it. In fact, would you stand with me? Let's just bow our heads and our hearts as we stand together. Pastor Nathan is going to lead us in a concluding chorus here in a minute. Friend, I don't know where you are in life right now. And as you reflect on these words of Jesus, these powerful stories, things that were lost, how great God's love is for us, maybe today you just needed to be reminded that your value is determined by the creator of the universe to help lift you out of depression, out of a low self-esteem and perspective on what value you have in life. Let God assign your value. You are precious in his sight. He has placed the highest price tag upon you. Friend, you might be like the prodigal son, the lost son, 
In your pursuits of pleasure, you've caused quite a bit of devastation in your own life. Those around you, you're at the end of the rope, at the end of the road. You feel like things are just coming apart. Friend, you don't have to earn God's love to be brought back to embrace his loving arms. You just have to walk into them. Today, as we sing this chorus, friend, if you need to be restored to God, just place your faith and trust in him. You can ask for forgiveness for the mistakes you made. He will graciously give you forgiveness, restore you, redeem you, put you back into the family as you respond with faith and trust. Our friend today, you just might need your heart to be recalibrated because of the busyness of life, the stresses, the pressures. Like the older brother, you might be a part of the family, but God needs to realign your heart with his, to harmonize your heart with the Father. As we sing this chorus, let's just allow God to have his work and let's respond appropriately that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in our lives this morning. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.